0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. Glad to be with you. We have a very important show today. It's, uh, it's This segment right now maybe one of the most important that we do together. Um, again, it's great to be with you. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being a part of this. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get yourself signed up to get my daily wink. What you need to know, what you need to know, daily wink, the wink. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. I'll get you what you need to know, and we'll talk about it right now also and uh lots and lots happening, uh, lots of different things going on we'll cover some of that later on in the show we'll also have some uh, very special guests i'm excited to uh, hear we about six months ago we talked about nuclear power uh, we always talk about it with uh, Mark Schneider uh, this time we 're going to talk to uh, a gentleman named Scott Melby he was with us uh, about six months ago talking about uranium how we can buy American uranium why it matters i 'm going to tell him and ask him about the um, the uh, Uh, Continuing validity of the Monroe Doctrine. Got to keep the Chinese and others out of our hemisphere. Related to that, and we'll also talk with Dr. Brett M. Decker in a few moments. Uh, Also, he is always on each week. He's got good insight, especially on China. All right, but what you need to know today? What do you need to know today? Uh, It's as important as we've as we've a discussion we've had. I want to keep smiling as I say this. I want to be clear that I'm not down. I'm not. uh, depressed but I am uh, very uh, serious about it okay what you need to know today is that we are at war in this country it is a it is a war between in between forces that uh, exist among us there's not a this is not a foreign terrorist this is a domestic terrorist unit but it's not a war that's uh, started uh, in Minnesota that's a mistake. The the left tries and the media tries to say, look at what happened to Mr. Floyd, a tragedy. And now look at how bad things are. It's a trigger. It's not true. We have been at war in this country for about 50 years. And the war has been, it was aided a lot of the time, by the way, with the foreign uh, entities like the communists, the Soviet communists that infiltrated. It's still aided by uh, leftists from other countries. But for 50 years, it's been a war. Amongst us, I'm loath to call it a second civil war. It's not quite defined that way, but it's something like that. There were people, of course, bombing police stations in the 60s and 70s. There were people that were causing mayhem and killing cops. There were all kinds of things. But fundamentally, we're at war with people who don't believe in America. They don't believe in the American Constitution. They may say they do. They don't believe in the American values. They may say they believe they don't. And the people that are... Killing cops. Now, let me let me run through this. You know, let me run through this incredible scenario that we're living through right now where we have uh, we have a a cop. I'm so upset about this one uh, policeman, a retired police captain. He's now getting uh, tons of attention, which is really a positive thing. But until uh, late yesterday, he was getting no attention, you know, in St. Louis, a retired St. Louis police captain who uh, then came out of retirement. I tell people came out of retirement to be a police chief. I mean, it's extraordinary. And then he's killed. David Dorn is his name. Killed on live TV by looters. His wife, Anne Marie Dorn, said that she, she he was running towards the, 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 the problem. His friend owned a shop and he went there and he was killed. It's an incredible tragedy. Down in Louisville, Kentucky, National Guardsman killed. Uh, you know, over in Oakland, California, federal officer killed. Indianapolis: Two people killed over the weekend, including a, a former football player for Indiana. By the way, most of these: Iowa, another one in Iowa uh, killed. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, in Minneapolis, of course, there's been killed. Uh, the Mr. Floyd was killed, but then others were killed. Calvin Horton is the name of one. He's shot outside of a pawn shop. He's defending. Now listen, he and by the way, he's a black man defending the pawn shop owned by a white friend of his. In, in, in Omaha, Nebraska, in Detroit, in suburban Chicago. Now, listen. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. These people are trying to take away our America. These people, and, and, and it's not the people that are protesting in fear. There's a few, there's some people protesting, but it's the, it's, the, it's the terrorists organizing this. It's the people that are organizing this that are funding it, and it's a war against America. If it was ISIS or Al Qaeda that burned city blocks, we would have no uh, we would have no uh, compunction going after them. And instead, we're worried about what how do we handle this? What do we do? Here's the facts. It is a war and the people that are leading it against us. And there are lots of, by the way, there's lots of lemmings, lots of people that are out there, young people, dumb people, uneducated people, which is another failing of our country. But they're not the ones that are running this network. Antifa is a network of people they have technology they have coaching they have tactics they have strategy and so we shouldn't be here's the first thing what you need to know the first thing you know what you need to know today is we're at war but what do we do about it over the last 24 hours i've had emails from many of you saying hey what do we do about it and you know you you get what i'm saying about we're better than this and then hey we're we're stronger than this but what do we do about it so that's what i'm telling you today this this wink today is what you need to know is here's where we are we're at war What do we need to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And I'm going to give you a couple of the ideas. By the way, let me tip my hat. Newt Gingrich is a friend of mine, I guess. We went back and forth on some things. And some of these ideas I gleaned from his writings on this subject. But the first thing we did to do, the number one thing you have to do, what you need to know is you're at war. And the first thing you have to do is name the reality. Name the enemy. Don't be afraid. Don't be politically incorrect. The people burning buildings, the people killing people, they are anti-American. Their actions are evil. They need to be destroyed. It's a real network. It's Antifa. It's others. It's funded. We need to treat it like a terrorist organization, and we need to get to the bottom of it. But first, we need to name it. It is anti-American. They are trying to destroy the country. We shouldn't be naive about it. We should not be naive about it. What can we do about it? Well, one thing we do about it is put them in jail and hold them in jail. If you're at war, if you're in a war, you decide later how to handle habeas corpus. By the way, I'm not saying suspend habeas corpus. I'm saying how you decide later how much uh, uh, of a break people get, how much control. If you're at war, you've got to get control of the situation. There shouldn't be any bail ever well, not ever, any bail for the immediate future until we get people and hold them. They ought to put people in jail, no bail, and if it takes six months to sort it out, fine. We're at war. That's because of the war we're in. We're in this mass violence. We should ask all the citizens to use the video and the audio and photography to identify every one of these people that's doing this. I'm not talking about some of them. I'm not talking about a few of them. I'm t- talking about the worst of them. If you, are a, a, if you love America, you need to use the technology we have to go ahead and identify who these people are and what they've been doing. And we can do that. We have the ability to do that. That's what we have to do. What how do we once, once we know that what you need to know we're at war we're at war the people that are attacking us are anti-american they're trying to take us down and what can we do well there should be no bail for any of them put them in jail right away and wait get the streets cleared off we should use video photography anything else we have to make sure that we protect our streets we have to use the, 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 any power we have national emergency power whatever it is to secure our streets. And and we have to in the places where they're failing, we have to bolster them. It's no time. I know I love Julie Kelly, but she says, oh, let the cities that have uh, failed governments uh, just fail. You can't do that. You can't do that. The fact is that we have to have massive strength, massive strength brought to bear. We have to get control of the situation and we have to not be afraid. We have to demand from our politicians. We don't demand martial law. We don't demand bullies. We don't demand dictators. We demand protection for our nation. And if we do this, if we use the technology that exists, we all get in the spirit of identifying these people, these terrible people that are killing and destroying the country, not laughing about it. Oh, there's a man with a TV. No, that's my cousin, Kevin. And Kevin lives over here. That's what we need to do. And don't tell me, oh, well, Kevin's just a misguided guy. If you're joining the gangs that are trying to take down the country, you're on the wrong side, not just of history, you're on the wrong side of this war. So you got to get on the right side or you got bigger trouble. What you need to know is we're at a war now with anti-American entities that are trying to take this country down. And we've got to use every single tool to get serious. We have to use massive force to get control. We have to put people in jail without bail. We have to use technology and identify people. We have to step up and recognize the threat to us. It's not a threat from Minnesota last month. It started 50 years ago, and it's undermining our country. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Be right back. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report and our next guest this is a fascinating topic. I think Scott that you were with us uh uh maybe 6 months or so ago and we talked about this issue but we're talking about you know one of my um one of my uh pet not know, pet peeves but issues is that I have been fascinated by the nuclear energy uh, debate and how the, if you believe in the Green New Deal, first of all, it's pretty crazy, but if you believe in the pro, in solving the problem, you could, nuclear power is a, uh, is a huge advantage. So welcome back. First of all, uh, uh Scott Melby. Mel, is it Melby or Melby? Sorry, Scott. Melby. Melby. Hi, Ed. Melby. Good. Good. Welcome. Welcome back. And, uh, and first of all, let me ask you broadly about this Trump administration and the uh, and n- nuclear energy. I, I obviously heard a lot of people say it's a very positive uh, directionally uh, Directionally, this has been. But tell me about your experience and what you're observing with the Trump administration and nuclear energy.
1: Well, we, he couldn't be more supportive. But as you recall, when we last spoke, it was about the time of CPAC last year. Um, we were very yeah. concerned about the high levels of foreign imports that we were relying on for our nuclear energy in the United States, which is 20% of our electricity, not to mention the uh, the reactors in the aircraft carriers and submarines. Um, we were expecting the Trump administ- administration to go down the path of tariffs and quotas, like was done with steel and aluminum. However, he did uh, he chose against that that uh, sort of trade action, and instead has done something that's probably more lasting. And that was the establishment of the Nuclear Fuel Working Group, which is a policy document which was just uh, put out by the Department of Energy last week. But it was a collaboration of uh, cabinet-level departments and agencies in the Trump administration to find out ways and stimulate policies that would um, promote nuclear energy uh, as as an energy source here in America beyond what we already rely on it for but also make us more competitive in exporting reactor technology around the world like we used to do with Westinghouse and GE, but also invigorate the nuclear fuel cycle, which is critical to any competitive industry that we are able to produce our own uranium, convert it, enrich it, and uh, supply our nuclear energy industry.
0: Uh, we're talking with Scott Melby, and, and he is uh, the head of uh, the Uranium Energy Corporation. And uh, there's a lot on their website you can see, in fact. But uh, so, what's the next step? What's the next step of you know one of the th- one of the titles in, in looking at this is that uh, nuclear energy is a national security issue. What what needs to happen? You know, we relied on China for a bunch of. Uh, of uh, access and some, uh, you know, some minerals and different things. What's, our, what's the next step in the next year or two on, on uh, nuclear energy?
1: Well, um, you're right. You know, I think the whole coronavirus episode has really highlighted our vulnerability on a lot of key products uh, that, that we require, everything from ventilators to masks to gloves to pharmaceuticals. But in the energy industry and in nuclear energy, it's really uh, Russian supplies. As it stands today, we're relying on Russia or Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, for about 42% of our, our uranium imports. We're almost entirely dependent on foreign imports, uh, despite having enormous, perhaps as much as a billion pounds of uranium resources in the western United States. We have uh, a number of licensed, permitted operations that are either in standby or in development that can ramp up to help gain back our energy independence, much like we did with oil and gas, and reverse the trends that we saw in the 70s and 80s. So um, what's happened is through this report, uh, the Trump administration has uh, recommended uh, building a national uranium reserve, which is very similar to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, It's ended U.S. government sales of, of government inventories into the market, and it's encouraged continued restrictions on Russian supplies coming into the U.S. market. So the next step is to really take this aspirational document, this vision for uh, America's nuclear energy advantage and, and implementing, and that's going to require bipartisan support in, in Congress. Uh, we need to get the Uranium Reserve funded, for example. As um, tough as a list as anything is back in D.C. these days. Uh, we are optimistic, though, that nuclear energy is one of the few things uh, that, that does draw bipartisan support. So uh, that's the step that we're in now is to ensure that the nuclear fuel uh, uranium reserve that will be built up with uh, domestic uranium gets funded and implemented and we can get uranium mines in the western United States back in operation or, or develop a new mine and get people working.
0: We're talking with Scott Melby and he's executive vice president of the uranium energy corporation. We're talking about nuclear energy and uranium. And can I ask you this question? I have always, I I covered it. I think we even talked about it, but one of the reasons why Greenland gets some attention is they got a ton of uranium, right? So the, the Chinese and the Russians and us also are like, Hey, that's a big deal. Is that, is that, uh, is that a real issue?
1: Yeah. Um, the topic is very real. Um, I don't know that Greenland has the richest deposits of uranium. It does have other critical and rare earth minerals that we're very interested in, as are the Russians and Chinese. But you are correct. Countries like China are going around and basically going into South America or Africa, into these nations, providing financing and developing industries. And let's just take Namibia in southern Africa as an example, where the Chinese practically run the country of Namibia because of their ownership of, of almost all of the uranium assets in that country. So uh, it is a global game. The Russians and Chinese play the long game. Uh, unfortunately, the United States, um, the utilities uh, that, that run our nuclear power plants, they're obviously very driven on competitive, low-cost operations and delivering affordable electricity, and, and, and they'll meet that, that objective. But they're not looking as strategic as, say, the Russians you know the Russian Federation and, and the Chinese government. They look at nuclear
0: energy as a tool of foreign policy and and uh, exerting their influence around the world. You know, um, we uh, Scott, I was I tell everybody over and over again. You know, the uh, in in 2023 it'll be the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine, and I off, I, I push in the president talk. President Trump talked about this in 20. I think it was either 2018, I think 2018 at the UN, but the continuing validity of the Monroe Doctrine, meaning. In our hemisphere, don't come in and mess with us because not so much – it's not only – but at the time of the Monroe Doctrine, it was actually Russia allied with a European uh, interest to try to colonize the Western west coast of America uh, at that point. But uh, my point is that if you say, hey, st- stay out of our hemisphere – Uh, China, that gets you out of Greenland, you know, as you point out, gets you out of Latin America and South America, because, you know, this is, this is, you know, incompatible system. So uh, just FYI, I like to bring that up all the time, because I love the Monroe Doctrine. I think it needs to be uh, more specifically understood. Okay, so uh, I know Rick Perry was very successful. And one of the documents I'm looking at is this... um, restoring america's competitive nuclear energy advantage he came interesting he came out of texas of course former governor with all that energy background but especially oil background and gas and ended up being really great on nuclear energy is that because that's a trump priority as in other words is it stay in that way in the energy department or was he really uh, particularly good well it's, it's interesting because
1: uh texas uh in terms of an electricity grid, is, is its own grid. Uh, other states in the in the Northeast and Midwest are part of multi-state compacts where they supply each other electricity. Texas is its own grid, and it couldn't be more diversified between uh, oil and gas, coal, wind, solar, nuclear. Um, so Perry, it was very natural for him to propose and all of the above energy strategy for the United States. And, again, we're blessed with abundant natural resources. It would be crazy for us to just focus, you know, put all our eggs in one basket when we're blessed with so many alternatives. So he was definitely a a real driver, but I would say that uh, the current Energy Secretary, Dan Brouillette, um, just spoke on this uh, last week, is how important nuclear energy is in the mix for us. you know, there's pros and cons to all energy sources, but nuclear brings big baseload uh, power that doesn't provide uh, any uh, carbon emissions, and then perhaps more importantly, is is, is without uh, air pollution. So, um, I think Trump administration's clearly uh, the, the the message that they've sent with this document probably the strongest uh, 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 policy document in support of nuclear energy that we've seen since the Eisenhower administration with his atoms peace speech in the did before the UN at that time. So, again, uh, hmm. Trump is, is really looking at, uh, you know, restoring our, our energy security, uh, also our national security, and also getting us uh, back into a position position of leader leadership in the geopolitical sphere with a stronger export uh, potential for nuclear energy around the world. So, uh, yeah, we couldn't hmm. be pleased with what he's doing. Now we just need to execute on the plan and get Congress to... Uh,
0: to play along yeah alright Scott Melby thank you thanks for coming back on we'll have you back on again uh, keep in touch and uh, uh, Scott is the, uh, a, the give me the right Executive Vice President Uranium Energy Corp uh, we'll check that out and we'll watch for it thank you for your time
1: excellent thank you
0: Take care. bye alright we'll take a quick break and be right back it's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report be right back this is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. It's time to talk with Dr. Brett M. Decker. We need to uh, get filled in. He is the New York Times best-selling author and the former journalist for the Wall Street Journal in Asia, as well as the editorial page editor of the uh, Washington Times, and is currently also a, he's a professor at Defiance College in Ohio, but he's also on the USA Today Board of Advisors for uh, editorials and op-eds and things. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Decker. How are you?
2: Boy, things uh Things getting really tense. I just was talking to my uh, mom in Michigan, and uh, she lives uh, about five minutes, five minutes walking, five or ten minutes walking, not even driving, uh, from this luxury mall, Summer Mall. And just announced that there's going to be a, uh, a Black Lives Matter protest at that mall. Well, and why do you have it at a mall, right? It's just setting up more looting. But... Uh, yep. This is, a real, this is really a high-end mall with right, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Ralph Lauren stores. And they're telling protesters, park at the mall. So um, that's pretty scary.
0: I mean, that's just right around the corner from our house. So, um, uh, Well, and, and let me, uh, say, something, let me you know, say something about that. Yeah. At that. At the point where you have Black Lives Matter announcing a protest at a suburban uh, shopping mall, Aren't they just conceding that they're going to plan to riot?
2: Well, I think yesterday the mask came off. Well, no, they're leaving all their masks on, right, to conceal their identity. Right. But um, the, the, the metaphorical mask came off because they were telling people, like, right in, in Illinois, they left downtown because they already destroyed downtown Chicago. The Miracle Mile looting, right? Unbelievable. Right. One of the nation's great shopping centers. But they said, we're going to the suburbs. So they were going out to Oak Park um, and other places like that, all these nice suburbs. And uh, today they sent out a notice, uh, the the rioters, they sent a notice saying, burn it all down. And they sent a bunch of neighborhoods, Lincoln Park, uh, Logan Park, all these nice neighborhoods in Chicago. And they said, burn it to the ground. That's the message now. So um, right? hopefully Somerset Mall in that- Troy, Michigan won't, won't go down, but...
0: Um, so uh, we're talking with De- De- Brett, uh, Dr. Brett M. Decker. So what do you do about it? I, I think I told we were texting earlier. Maybe we even talked on the phone that, uh, you know, my wife said, um, okay, I, you know, enough's enough. It's one thing to protest, but you're not allowed to burn things down. They're burning Santa Monica. They're burning uh, Minneapolis. They're burning St. John's across Lafayette Square from the White House. And my wife is like, send in the military. Do you send in the military? Can you get, can, In this day and age, Can you? is that the way you can you get control? Well, you know, it, it all comes
2: back to... Um The problem of, uh, uh, one, how large the crowds are, and no matter what, if you're using force, you know, uh, the president and other people are saying, look, you need to use more force. Well, I mean, once you let the genie out of the bottle, how much force are you willing to, to use, right? That's the question. So you send in the National Guard, and it's intimidating having military vehicles and all that stuff there. But at a certain point, unless you're willing to crack some heads or pull some triggers, uh, they're already like laughing in the face of the police, right? So they they can right. throw bottles and Molotov cocktails and, and rocks and bricks at the National Guard too, right? The, the the National Guard the presence looks scary, right? A armored personnel carrier and like you know desert camouflage or whatever, but at a certain point. The rioters are calling law enforcement's bluff, and they're probably going to do that same thing with the military, and um, what you usually use the military for, a uh, National Guard, unlike 1967 in Detroit, where you send the military in and then the whole world, right, sees pictures of tanks right. going down Woodward Avenue, what you do now is they usually use the National Guard to do law enforcement support behind the front lines. So they go and protect places that aren't under attack, uh, they close down neighborhoods. but what that does is it frees up local law enforcement to do the uh, to be on the front line because what they really don't want is that image of, oh the freest, richest country on the world uh, is now under martial law, right? So so much of it is imagery, but we're way past the point now of imagery being an issue, right We need, we need we need neighborhoods and pacify 100 over 140 cities now have had looting and burning and, and, and rioting. So, uh, right. you know, I mean, you know, Mayor Giuliani, who I, I think, you know, I know, um, right. Very successful mayor of New York. He, he was saying uh, yesterday that you just have to you have to arrest people by the hundreds and the thousands and just let them sit there for a couple of weeks. He's like, you have to remove people wholesale out of it. And he Uh, said said, that's the only way to do it, you know. And I I think – but right now it's just – they're just letting them run rampant and not even even trying to intervene. And and look, I mean, billions of dollars in damage uh, is a result, and this is an economy already reeling. So, uh, you know, Detroit, you know, my hometown, uh, 1967 riots, some of the worst in in history, you know, to this day – the city hasn't recovered over 50 years later. It's not like this stuff gets cleaned up in a year or even 10 years. It's decades to rebuild, if ever, once these neighborhoods are destroyed. When I originally moved to Washington D.C. in 1995, 1996 uh, permanently, um, there were still neighborhoods that hadn't been rebuilt. You had empty, you had buildings with bur- burned out buildings still sitting there. Now it's all been gleam- you know, rebuilt and it's all gleaming now. But that was twenty over. That was twenty-five years later. You know, things get destroyed. They sit there a really long time because who's going to risk investing in a place that got burned down? Right? It doesn't make any sense. So you have a lot of long-term consequences here.
0: It, we're talking with Brett Decker, but so I, I agree with you on on, on especially the opening of this uh, uh, that answer to the, when we're talking is that where, how do you draw the line? But but I just think at this point um, most of the country. I don't know anybody that says what they saw with the uh, African-American who, was, who died in Minneapolis and was killed, you know, that that was a close call, right? I don't see any evidence that makes someone say, oh, that was okay. So, and, and the co- the ex-cop was arrested right away. It seemed like they were on track for justice. So, and, and none of the uh, related rioting and violence feels, I don't think anyone thinks, oh, oh, they're really frustrated by that death. Now they just see, you know, pro- as I said, professionals, Antifa and professionals, and then, you know, people that are just dumb and, and foolish going forward and greedy and nasty and all. But so at this point, I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle. I, I think you've got to do something to stop it. I, it doesn't feel like it's going to peter out. As you just said there today, there's more uh, uh, um, possibilities in Detroit. There's supposed to be more uh, in other cities. I mean, I just think you've got to do something, don't you?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think what you do is you just have to go in hard and you got to, you got to just like mayor Giuliani said, you gotta have to just start throwing people away for, for by the hundreds and in all these different locations, and you just have to start mopping up and and, and you know uh, and and there might be some ugly videos, but you know what? It, it, historically, and we can't do this anymore, but historically, arson, especially looting and arson, those were capital offenses. Military right. and police right. were allowed to shoot on sight. Well. Right, We're all right. politically correct now, right. but I think uh, uh, there's something between that and doing nothing, right? And that's what, what you know, the, the coordination of this is amazing, and the press isn't covering this very much. You know, one of the things that were, was complicating the, the reaction in Chicago is, and this just shows, and TIFA, whoever is behind this, they were jamming the Chicago police radios. So when they were trying to coordinate the response, the police couldn't even talk to each other because their radios were jammed. Well, that's a pretty sophisticated operation behind the scenes and and you don't see the media really talking about that very much.
0: Well, and uh, so now now, I'm I'm going to sound... Yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm going to sound like a... uh, I'm going to sound like a... a, a, Because I've been so uh, distrustful of the swamp and everything, but Shouldn't, uh, law enforcement have an idea of how that's working? Isn't that their job? I mean, to info, you know, within a couple of, of, of hours in, in Ferguson, when I was in St. Louis and Ferguson erupted, the cops had people infiltrating there, you know, and th- then they had intelligence officers. I mean, it feels like we don't have control, uh, the same way in this case. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I I just got about 30 seconds left. I mean, I, I, is this a law enforcement failure? I guess it is. It clearly is, but, uh, or is it a political correctness failure?
2: I think what you see is the chickens coming home to roost. Three, four decades of uh, public schools, uh, the government bureaucracy, and media being run run by the radical left. Right? Um, Mayor De Blasio, in New York, his daughter was arrested, throwing bottles right. and not moving, and he said he's proud of her. So that that's yeah, running yeah, exactly. a lot of the bureaucracy. So we don't have the information we need.
0: Yeah. All right, Dr. Brett M. Decker, thanks as always. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author and uh, professor at Defiance College. We'll talk again next week. We'll take another quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy
2: of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
0: It seems like the feminists in Hollywood are trying to make Americans believe that Phyllis Schlafly wanted all women to get married, stay home for their entire marriage, and devote all their attention to their children. Yet the truth is different. Phyllis Schlafly's mother, Odile, worked as a librarian to support her family when Phyllis's own father lost his job in the Great Depression. And Phyllis herself was no slouch either. She was a published author, congressional candidate, and powerful political force before the fight over the Equal Rights Amendment even began. If exclusive matrimony and motherhood for all was Phyllis Schlafly's prescription, she would have been contradicting herself. The problem with Hollywood's characterization is it's taking Phyllis's position totally out of context. The very first line of the iconic February 1972 issue of her Phyllis Schlafly Report newsletter says this, Of all the classes of people who have ever lived, the American woman is the most privileged. We have the most rights and rewards and the fewest duties. Phyllis's reasoning for this ultimately boiled down to one word, choice. America affords women the choice to get married or not, to have children or not, to volunteer or not, and to take on a career or not. Phyllis Schlafly was fond of saying that she never told all women to do anything. She did say getting married and having children was the most fulfilling thing for most women. However, she fully embraced the fact that this wasn't the way for everyone. Feminists want to take away the right of women to be full-time homemakers. Their venomous rhetoric calls the home a, quote, comfortable concentration camp and refers to wives as, quote, unpaid prostitutes. That's what the feminists think. They sometimes make lip service to homemakers, but the feminist policies call for families with homemakers to incur huge tax penalties. They have zero respect for the real right of choice. Phyllis famously said she had it all, but not all at once. Educated at Washington University and Harvard, married with six kids, she became a legendary political activist. Her time on this earth was full and fulfilling, but she had different focuses for different seasons of her life. And she wished the same for others. She wanted every woman to have the chance to pursue her dreams with the full freedom that America offers.
2: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
0: Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Great to be with you. And uh, hey, I'm going to get, go to some emails and some texts that you all sent me. Uh, so feel free. Let me remind you if you go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, you can sign up there to receive my daily email, the wink, what you need to know, uh, proamericareport.com. Feel free to go there. and uh, But you can also email me. You can email me directly. You can text me directly. It goes right to my phone. Uh, the email is ed. At edmartinlive.com, ed at edmartinlive.com, ed at edmartinlive.com. You can also uh, text me, 314 256 1776, 314 256 1776. And, um, you can also go to Facebook Live, uh, which is—I um, mean, excuse me—Facebook. My my name on there. The show is Ed Martin Live. Also, you can um, on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. So, uh, lots of ways to get to me. A couple of comments I got from some people. Uh, number one, I got a number of comments from people about the threat of elections and election—you uh, know—or the, the early mail-in balloting and what's happening with that. Uh, let me just tell you, I am going to get Hans von Spakovsky on the show uh, tomorrow, and he's going to explain this. And I told him i wanted to do it as kind of a primer where he walks through you know what's the difference between absentee ballots what is mail-in balloting what's a hundred percent mail-in balloting look like and then what's the problem what are the threats because you're seeing more and more evidence more and more concern uh about the the uh, election integrity so we'll get to that tomorrow so i think that that message came in from Marilyn uh, Maryland in uh, San Diego, Maryland. We will get to that tomorrow. I hope you don't mind. Uh, we'll do that. And, uh, please, um, uh, tune in for that. It is a good one. Hey, um, also I will put up on social media at, um, excuse me, at, um, Report dot com, all of the show segments that you've been hearing. So if you if you hear something you're like oh what was that? If it's an interview, it'll be there by name. But if it's a wink, the daily wink, which is each of open of the show, then just go there and find the wink. If it's a it's a wrap up, which is what we're doing now, you can find it there. But go to proamericareport.com, dot com, dot com, and you can uh, find it there. Okay, um, now on to oh another um, uh, a uh, text from someone. Um, it's they said, "What we've lost our focus on uh, on the Wuhan virus and the China virus and what is the impact. Uh, it is interesting. I think we're going to probably in the next month be able to see how uh, big a spreader is it, right? I mean, you know, there was this big party down in the Lake of the Ozarks from Missouri, where I'm from, big party, hundreds and hundreds of people. So far, one person had the disease and was not uh, symptomatic at the time, but there hasn't been a massive outbreak, um, now, uh, on the other hand, uh, I was talking to one of uh, a friend of mine who is um, Israeli. The Israeli schools went right back to, to school and they were back full time. And whenever they get uh, a student that gets sick, they take them out of school. Right. And they, and they do their best. And they have had a spike. They've had a spike of kids uh, that get the disease. Uh, happily, most of them are not getting very sick, but they have had a spike and they've had to sort of adjust. So we're going to see in the next little while what the reality is. Uh, my friend who's Israeli said they just knew they couldn't sit on their economy any longer, just like we knew. There was just a point where you couldn't sit on your economy, you couldn't hold back any longer, and you had to move. Uh, so there you are. We'll see. Uh, but I I think we'll, you know, the next... now. Hundreds of thousands of people protesting in the last three days, and they don't seem to be social distancing. Most of them don't seem to have masks on. I think we'll we'll tell if there's a lot of spreading there, too. So, uh, all right. One more uh, email. This one is from David. Uh, David in St. Louis, who listens to the program uh, online. He goes to com to listen to it. Thank you, David, first of all, for doing that. Let me tell you this. Your question is about and I'm a little late to this. You asked me this two days ago. Now we've seen it's changed. Your question was, will the Republicans have their convention in Charlotte? The answer it appears to be emphatically no. Uh, it looks like the the mayor of uh, excuse me, the governor of North Carolina was unable to commit to it. And at a certain point, you got to back out pretty fast. Here's the problem. Uh, from 2013 to 2015, I was on the Republican National Committee. The members of the committee that were on the site selection team and the planning team for the convention, they worked for like a year. They had meetings and and phone calls and they visited the sites and all because it's a massive logistical uh, situation. Lots of logistical pieces to put together. So here's what I expect to happen. President Trump wants to have his convention. He's the incumbent. He's going to have a convention. It will be in a state and a city that has completely friendly governor and mayor. So that eliminates Pittsburgh. The governor there is hostile. It probably eliminates some of the Tennessee. Nashville has a little bit better situation. The Tennessee governor's good, but the mayor's not so good. I think you're almost certainly going to be in Florida. Because the president knows Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, will take care of everything and they get along really well. And I think he can get a friendly enough situation in, say, Tampa Bay uh, area or Orlando area. But we'll see. But there will be a convention. Here's what I will also predict, though. It will be morphed partly because of the need to, in 60 days, uh, put a convention together on a new site and partly because of the reality of the disease, the the Wuhan virus. It will be changed into a much more uh, streamlined, a streamlined and sort of made for TV convention. And the president will still star each night in many different ways, but there won't be quite as big a here we are in Tampa Bay, 40,000 people or 60,000 people or 100,000 people. Remember, Obama had a big thing in Denver. He he got the arena there and all that. I don't think you're going to see that. I think you'll see scaled down, made for TV, functioning that way will be the way they go. Uh, that's my bet. That's my instinct. I've heard a little bit of it coming out of the Trump campaign and some folks that seem to know. Um, so we'll see uh, what else we've find there so all right that's all i've got for now don't forget go to proamericareport.com proamericareport.com get signed up for the daily wink also get yourself uh uh a um uh, any of the segments you've been hearing that you want to catch up on they're all cataloged there or go to the diego.com get the show as a podcast and uh, we will be back tomorrow night as always to be together it's ed martin i want to say thank you Uh, To our fearless uh, technical director, Noah, who keeps everything together amazingly well. Also to Joanna for helping us uh, book and produce the show. And we will be back. It's Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report. Be back tomorrow night. Talk to you then.